Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nitty Sports Now Network. He's Kevin Quigley. I'm Jared Prugar. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Kevin, the NFL draft came and went over the weekend. Penn State had six guys drafted, multiple others undrafted uh, free agents. But the biggest thing is this is now you know, consistently showing what James Franklin can do as far as development goes. Yes. Penn State is one of four schools in the last six NFL drafts to have at least five players selected, the others being Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. And that marks 46 draft picks by James Franklin in his nine years as a Penn State head coach. Penn State is good on the field. They haven't had the results that we've maybe expected them to have, but James Franklin and the rest of the coaching staff has shown they can develop the talent and put it into the next level. And if you're a parent or you're a high school student looking for a place to go and you want to make it to that next level, Penn State's one of the top four schools to do that. Well, and then you look at, you can go outside of Penn State, right? Will Levis, he was drafted in the second round. We'll talk about that in the second segment. But also Zach Kuntz, uh, former tight end, uh, at Penn State, recruited by James Franklin and, and Ricky Ronnie. So the guy has an eye for talent. Now, the development has always been there. It's just kind of putting that all together on the field. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, Georgia Bulldogs, um, had, I think, 10 picked um, over the over the draft. And I feel like all of them went to Philly, unfortunately. Um, though I, I don't believe that. Let's forget a couple. Totally accurate. That's right. So the state of um, Pennsylvania is now actually Georgia North. But, but that's the thing. It's you. You have success in the field. It breeds talent. It breeds development. Now you know they're set up for success down the road. And you know when you when you're looking at Penn State as a whole, okay. Well, James Franklin, there hasn't been a, a starting quarterback that hasn't has has not been drafted. Uh, you can look at Christian Hackenberg. Under James Franklin, he was drafted by the Jets. You can look at Trace McSorley. He was drafted by the Ravens. You can look at Will Levis, even. Uh, he had to start in there. Taquan Roberson still in school. Uh, Sean Clifford was drafted in the fifth round by the Packers, which we'll get to here in, in a couple seconds. Uh, and then, you know, it's even um, Tommy Stevens, too. So, and, and not all those guys had successful seasons or successful tenures at Penn state, but he's got an eye for talent, a knack for talent. And why not go to Penn state? You might, there's a very good chance. You're probably going to end up in the NFL. Yeah. You, like we said, one of the top four schools to put people into the NFL over the last five years. And it's, you just have to, maybe, maybe we want to see James Franklin develop that talent and develop it at more positions, but clearly he can put corner quarterbacks in this, in the NFL draft he could put defensive backs in the NFL draft. Uh, offensive linemen are going left and right out of Penn State. Uh, we could even talk a little bit about David Pollock uh, on day, had of a day two of the NFL draft, or day three of the NFL draft. It was Saturday morning. Uh, they were doing a little bit of Penn State over under nine and a half wins. The FPI had it at ESPN's bogus FPI had it at 9.3. And David Pollock was like, I'm going to slam the under because, uh, Penn State can't push people around and you have to you have to argue that maybe David David Pollock isn't watching Penn State football. He's an SEC guy, obviously went to Georgia. Um 
but he played he played football he played in the NFL for a few years in Cincinnati. So he lived in Big Ten country there for a bit. And to not even recognize Penn State's development at the offensive line last year. Uh Olu Fashunu could have easily been a top five pick this year, probably gonna be a top five pick next year. And for him to just be like, yeah, they can't push people around up front. I mean, that's obviously their biggest I mean, they made leaps and bounds last year on that, and this year's probably going to even be, be even better. And they put Juice Krugs in into the NFL in the second round. So, right, and that's a guy. That, yeah, I mean, I I empathize with them because they have about a million and a half teams and players that they have to to cover and whatever. So I'll let that Freudian slip go, but you've got to be able to understand why Penn State is the way that they are. They were 46th in the country in rushing. That's not because of a bad O-line. They had a pretty good offensive line. And guess what? They returned everybody except for Juice Scruggs. So that's a good problem to have if you're the Penn State and the Lions, regardless of what any pundit or analyst says. Now, you got to know who you're talking about. And I get it. You're day three of the draft, and it's a lot. First day – goes on for what seems like forever for one round second day yada 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 but you got to know you for a program like penn state you have to know what you're talking about now on the flip side they had one two three four offensive guys drafted with joey porter jr and jair brown being the two defensive guys drafted they also had mitchell tinsley and I know Crystal's special teams, but Mitchell Tinsley also went to the NFL as an undrafted free agent. So when you look at the offense as a whole, that's pretty solid. You know, Parker Washington was hurt, ends up getting picked uh, sixth round, 185th overall. Sean Clifford, um, fifth round, 149th overall, which I'm not going to, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I, I did not expect Sean Clifford to get drafted that high. Uh, I thought he might've been a seventh round guy, if not undrafted free agent. Um, but winning, winning in experience goes a long way. And I think, you know, he's in the perfect situation in green Bay where he's not going to, it's not going to be this big Sean Clifford, Jordan love battle, but he's a competent backup. He'll learn the offense fairly quickly, but he can provide just enough of a push for Jordan love to feel a little bit of pressure, but not too much now that he's the starter in green Bay. Yeah. And Sean Clifford, it's probably the best place in the NFL for him to go. Jordan Love had, what, 13 starts in college or something like that. Um, he opted out of the COVID year, which would have been his second year as a starter. So really little experience. It's a, He's going to his fourth year in the NFL. So he hasn't played. He hasn't been a starter for four years now. So it's a good place for Sean Clifford to go with 12 years of college experience, three of those being a starter four of those being a starter. So um, I, he's got to be the backup. The uh, only other quarterback on the Packers roster is uh, Danny Etling from LSU. Um, I, I, Sean Clifford's definitely better than Danny Etling. Uh, and if Jordan Love gets hurt or whatever, Green Bay has to be confident that they have a guy who could just go win games. I mean, he's not going to blow you out of the water with passing yards. They drafted a big tight end out of Notre Dame, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they drafted Jaden Reed. So seems like the Packers offense could make a little step forward with building a little bit more talent around Jordan Love. And then 
Sean Clifford's just got to be ready in case he crazy in case he goes into game action. Right now he's only one play away. So, you know, that, that speaks volumes, but I think it's a good situation for him. Like we said, you know, he's, he's not going to be the guy, which I think is perfect for him, but he gets to go in, learn the offense, provide a stability, the stability of a, of a good backup. And I think that's exactly what a, what a franchise like green Bay needs. Now, you look at Joey Porter Jr. He slides 30 seconds in a normal world, normal draft. That's first round, but it's his first round of the second uh, or first pick of the second round. I should say it goes to Pittsburgh. That's p- pretty picture perfect. You know, his dad plays there, you know, as long as he stays away from Denver, I think he'll be all right. But he's the guy that's going to go in and compete day one. Right. Same thing with Brenton Strange. He's going to be with Trevor Lawrence uh, and Parker Washington in, in Jacksonville. They played pretty well. Doug Peterson's known for using his tight ends. Um, and Strange, you know, when you compare him to guys like Pat Fryermuth, guys like uh, Mike Kosicki, J- um, and, guy, and guys like that, Jesse James even, those guys are receivers first, not necessarily block-first tight ends. Strange can do both, and I think that's a huge asset to that Jacksonville offense that I think is going to have some success. Uh, again, under Doug Peterson, you look at Juice Scruggs, second round pick, offensive lineman. I'm not quite sure where they're going to want him uh, in Houston because the Texans are typically a tire fire, but he's going to be able to push for time right away. J.R. Brown joins Kevin Givens out in San Francisco. And then we talked at length about, about Clifford. So those are great situations. You got PJ Mustafer who gets, who I thought was be drafted to be honest with you. Uh, but he goes to Denver, Jonathan Sutherland, a special teams guy, and same thing with Chris Stoll out in Seattle. So there are options for those guys. I think that's huge for them. But it's going to be interesting to see kind of what, what happens next. But these guys are all, I think, expected to go in and, and compete. And I think Parker Washington could end up being a third or fourth receiver, um, you know, there as well. And the same thing with Mitchell Tinsley. Mitchell Tinsley could be very easily be a third or fourth receiver. And uh, for I think they're called – they go by the commandos now. Yeah, I I really like. Sorry, Commanders. Commando is definitely not uh, uh, an NFL team name yet. I'm rubbing off on you. Sorry, uh, Juice Scruggs. I think is is in a good spot. Um, Houston's Houston starting center is Scott Quesenberry. Uh, they said you know he's probably he's going to push him for starting time. If not, he can just slide over to guard. You know what I mean? He's he's a really good interior offensive line. Um, you got. Um, guy ripped the bong from the gas mask in the draft. Um, Laramie Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil on one side, and then they just drafted uh, what's his face from? Well, I thought they got an offensive tackle. I'm looking at it. They don't. Um, but their offensive line is in a is in good shape for the for the Texans. So he's going to be a part of a core group. Um, and then you just got to keep Bryce Stroud. Bryce Stroud. Wow. <laughs> Merging the two together. You just got to keep CJ Stroud up upright over there. So that would be one hell of a quarterback. If you combine CJ Stroud and Bryce young. Yeah. Give, give, uh, see, give, uh, Bryce young, CJ Stroud's body. I think there would be no questions around Bryce young. I did find it interesting. I guess we can get into it later in the second, in the second segment, but, um, yeah. Jair Brown to San Francisco, I think is a good fit. They're spending a lot of money on the offensive side of the ball. So their defense could get a little thin there. You got to like the success that he could have on that team. Um, 
Mitchell Tensley, it's Washington. They already have a Penn State guy in Jahan Dotson. They know what they're getting there. So not a good team. Another offensive weapon. You're going to be good there. And then, yeah, Brenton Strange and Juice and uh, Parker Washington going to Jacksonville. They get to catch balls from uh, Trevor Lawrence now. So they might actually get to catch big arm balls now. Uh, no offense, Sean Clifford, but Trevor Trevor Lawrence is a bit, much better arm talent there. So, yeah, I, I really don't see anybody here that didn't get a good opportunity. I'm surprised Barney Moore hasn't signed anywhere. He was a weapon. I've frequently said he was Penn State's best player last year. Penning everybody inside the 10-yard line is. They need they need to change that stat from inside 20 to inside 10. He's he'd be leading the he'd be leading the uh the NCAA in that, I would think. So we'll see how camp goes. Punter is such a fluid position. He's just got to stay ready. Right. But we're gonna talk a little bit more about some other Penn State guys. Uh one in particular that was that found themselves drafted. But it took a little bit of time for that to happen when we come back on the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast from the Sports Now Network. Welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast from the Sports Now Network. He's Kevin. I'm Jared. Kevin. If you tuned in to the first round of the NFL draft, you saw a former Penn State quarterback get a lot of screen time and in the worst way imaginable. It was Will Levis. For whatever reason, reasons unbeknownst to you, to me, to my two dogs, to whoever, he was selected or or um, anticipated that he would go in the top 10 of the NFL draft. I watched Will Levis play at Penn State. I watched him be a primarily primarily used as a runner. I watched him play at Kentucky. Things weren't that great there either. But he has a good build. He's an athlete. And lo and behold, he found himself highly regarded in the draft. It did not go as planned. His poor girlfriend was shown, obviously, not happy, neither should he, because whoever blew smoke up his ass about how high he was going to be drafted should be waterboarded. I'm not saying he's taking anything against him talent-wise, but I don't think that he warranted that type of hype. But lo and behold, he ended up in the second round of Tennessee, and good for him. Yeah, I if he didn't go forth to Indianapolis, I didn't think he was going to go. Anybody else drafting behind there? Uh, let me just look. Maybe the Falcons at eight could have taken him, uh, but they drafted B. John Robinson, which I think is probably going to be the pick of the first round. Uh, besides Jalen Carter, there's going to be some questions about the Eagles surrounding him um, and his legal issues. But Will Levis not going to Ford Indy. Anthony Richardson went there. Definitely had a much better – Levis definitely had a much better college career than Richardson did. Richardson's just that freak athlete, massive arm, and performed well at the underwear – I mean, uh, the NFL Combine in Indy. So someone even said today that Levis had played golf with, like, Indy's GM in Indianapolis when they, when they brought him in for a visit. So I think he really thought he was going to go to Indy, but Arizona traded out of three with, with Houston – and Indy's 
Richardson fell on Indy's lap. He's definitely got more upside than Levis, but yeah, I feel bad for him. But I think I think Tennessee is a good place for him to go. Um, I think the only other better place for him to grow would have been maybe Buffalo and be stuck behind Josh Allen and learn from a guy who's the same. Who is his? Yeah, has sit in the same comp, right? Yeah. So I think that would have been a good place for him to go. But what does it tell Josh Allen that you drafted Will Levis number thirty-one overall when Josh Allen's what twenty-nine, um, or something like that? I mean, you know, what I mean, he's what five, four or five years in the league. So yeah, I think Tennessee's a good place. They're not sold on Tannehill. I think he's entering the last year of his deal. He's probably not going to get re-signed at twenty-nine million dollars or whatever he's making because he's not a thirty million dollar quarterback like Kirk Cousins is either. So, um, sorry, I'm just doing drive-bys on people today. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he's in a good spot. I think he's obviously going to beat out Malik Willis because he was the draft darling of last year's draft and probably got overdrafted himself. Didn't look spectacular. But Tennessee really didn't help their quarterbacks last year. They traded A.J. Brown to Philadelphia and were like, Tannehill and Derrick Henry, yeah, you guys can figure it out. So, uh, maybe not the best situation for a quarterback to go, but it's a good situation. It's a good place for Levis to end up. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, now, and I think Ryan Leaf said this, and I and I love it. Now he's not going to be deemed a bust when he doesn't plan, pan out the way that he should. You know, Christian Hackenberg said it. He's like, I was drafted so high, people put all that pressure on you, right? Now he can go in, he can be behind Tannehill, push Tannehill for some playing time, Tannehill is not only just at the end of his contract, but I think he's nearing the end of his career. I think he has a lot less years than to go than than normal or than he should. But I think he's kind of at the waning end of his career. He is career. 34. Yeah, right. So he's not going to be doing this much longer. So now he can learn behind Tannehill, who has proven that he is competent and, and capable of playing some really high-quality football in the NFL. So that's good. He can learn behind him. The big knock on him was kind of that he was a jerk or weird in interviews. And that was kind of, you know, obviously you have the banana and the coffee and, and that weird mayonnaise, whatever. People have their quirks, right? But the big knock was that he came off as arrogant in his interviews. I don't know. I wasn't in those those moments. But when you have that kind of label, that's never good. But overall, now there's less pressure he can go out and just play and and for whatever reason they they blew all that smoke and at the end of the day he was drafted in the second round and that's good for him but unfortunately we don't get the Titans versus the pa- the Patriots and we don't get the Titans versus uh the Packers this year either yeah and i uh, Ryan Tannehill is also probably a good guy to learn from he's a facilitable starter uh, mm-hmm. he's also 6'4" 215 so Will Levis, I think, was 6'3", 230. Um, Levis played, you know, the lion position and tight end and wide receiver and running back and the wildcat at Penn State. Tannehill was a wide receiver and tight end at Texas A&M. So guys with pretty similar college careers to start. And then obviously Tannehill ends up as a starter in Texas A&M. Levis transfers to Kentucky. He's a starter there. So probably someone he can learn from on the path of to being an NFL quarterback. So even if it's only for one year, I think it, I think it's good place for him to learn. We'll see how successful he can be. I don't think the Titans have the best front office. They're probably down there with Houston in terms of front office management and 
they're not going to have an offensive line either. I mean, Taylor LeWan's gone. So, yeah, good luck to him. Second round can be the trickiest place to be drafted. You got moderate first round expectations, especially since he was a first round talent and don't have the staying power of a first round pick. So, right. And, and let's be real, you know, there, there is a knock on him about not being around for D2. Listen, if I was shown that much on TV, I wouldn't want to be shown anymore. I wouldn't I, have shown up. Heck no. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that, that's tough about situations like that, right? Like you expect to be drafted. And Joey Porter Jr. said this. He didn't have another suit, so he couldn't – he didn't want to go to day two because he expected to go in, in the first round. Now, that worked out immensely for him because he ended up being a guy that was drafted number one in the second round. But he gets to travel 25, 30 minutes to the team facility and do his interviews in person. You know, so was Will Levis prepared? No, probably not, because if I thought that I was going in the top 10, why would I pack another suit? Because I'm expecting to hop on a flight first thing the next morning and go to where my team wants me to go. But at the end of the day, you know, then some people came prepared. And I think it's hard to judge them because I've never been in that shoe. Like, I don't even know that I've ever been considered a top pick in a dodgeball game or a wiffle ball game, right? So I sure as hell wasn't the biggest kid ever uh, in any of those games. So that typically meant that I would be picked last. But again, you can say what you want, but unless you've lived it, you just don't know. And that's good for him. At the end of the day, he's drafted. He's going to get paid. That's great. But guys like Joey Porter Jr., they benefit. You know, he's like, oh, nobody's talking about Joey Porter Jr. not being there for day two. In fact, they're applauding him because he was able to go to the facility in person but there were a lot of cool stories um throughout the draft and one of the ones that i thought was really really cool um everybody if all seven people that listen to this podcast know that i'm a dallas cowboys fan right um obviously uh you know the cowboys are, are notorious for doing god knows what in the nfl draft because jerry jones is about as big of a wild card as antonio brown maybe with a little bit more mental stability right now. But the coolest thing for him or for, for the Cowboys in this draft was seeing them draft the son of the assistant director of college scouting, Chris Vaughn, his son, Deuce Vaughn was a running back at Kansas state. They had his dad call and make the pick. And I thought that was such a cool moment, you know, on the video they have, the call and he say, Hey, how would you like to come, come to work with me on Monday? And it was such a cool moment, such a neat moment. And I think that's, that's what makes the draft so special. Now, obviously that's not always possible, but then you get, you know, through throughout the league and there's some brothers getting picked up. Um, you know, Joey, or Joey Porter jr. For example, right. His dad plays for the Steelers has a, has a great career. Wins a Super Bowl. You see all the pictures of Joey Porter jr. At the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 40, I think it was, when they won. So that that humanizes the draft um, in ways that the production at, at ESPN just isn't capable of doing. No, and I loved Mike McCarthy's joke to Deuce Vaughn. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, hey, uh, Deuce, why don't you drive your dad to work so he'll be on time once for once in his life. That was uh, great. Um, the other good story of the draft was Cody Mosh. Offensive mm-hmm. tackle from Notre Dame, I think, or North Dakota State, Indy. Um, he was a zero-star recruit at a high school. 
was a walk-on tight end at North Dakota State and goes in the second round of the Buccaneers. Um, talk about talk about a come up, man, from a run on at a uh, FCS school to being drafted in the second round. What an ascension! Great hard work all around. That's that's the best part about the draft is seeing all those seeing all those good feel good stories. I mean, a lot of these guys are just physical specimens. Six, you and I will never know what it's like to be like a six five and athletic two sixty. I barely uh-huh. know what it's like to be five eight, <laughs> but, uh, but that's the thing. Like that's what makes the the draft so unique, right now. But then now we can be on the flip side. Well, was Parker Washington was was he entering the draft? A mistake was Mitchell Tinsley. You know, were these you know situations, whatever. Nick Tarburton, for example, was the opportunity to leave. You know, it, it, you kind of have to weigh all of that and. And it's tough to to really wrap your head around it because everybody's situation is different, right? Especially now with the NIL landscape, these guys could be making a lot more money in college than they will their first year, which is which is great, right? But at the same time, they might not be. So there are just so many different things that, that go into decisions like that. Should I stay? Should I go? Whatever. And we can sit here and debate until we're purple. But at the end of the day, we're not in those situations nor do we want to be. I mean, yeah, it'd be absolutely great to be to sign a hundred and some million dollar deal, right? I wouldn't know what to do with that money. Maybe I'd buy a better laptop. Maybe we'd buy real podcasting equipment. I don't really know, but it's good for those kids that get got drafted. It's even better for those kids that are undrafted free agents and got signed and now are going through rookie minicamp, uh, upcoming rookie minicamps, I should say. But at the end of the day, the draft is finally over. And now it's prepping for the rest of the summer. Uh, I just want to say one more thing about the draft. Uh, the terrible first round that the Detroit Lions had. Uh, we mentioned him earlier. Bijan Dijon Robinson um, was available at eight. They traded out of that pick with the Falcons to drop back to 12. Then they still took a running back in Jameer Gibbs. So they literally traded out of Bijan Robinson to get Jameer Gibbs. Uh, I believe they had another another pick at 18. I think Jameer Gibbs had like a 98% chance of still being available at 18. Um, and then they got Jack Campbell from Iowa at 18. And I believe ESPN had him at like a 96% chance of being available at their next pick, which was the third pick in the second round. So uh, if you think your team had a bad draft, uh, as long as you're not a Lions fan, you can uh, – you can rest your head on that one. Right. But uh, I'm actually pleasantly pleased for right now about the Cowboys draft. So I have that going for me. Um, but I also wasn't fully engaged in the in the NFL draft this weekend, which is pretty nice. But at the end of the day, it's over now. We can move on. And we're going to do that here in the third and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast. When we return from this quick break on the Nitty Sports Now. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast and the Sports Now Network. I'm Jared. He's Kevin. Kevin, Penn State Athletics is asking for some real big money, right? They off. I think they asked for 170 million, 160 million for renovations to Beaver Stadium for the first phase. That's right, the first phase. 
70, yeah. 70 million for the first stage. Sorry, 70 million. Okay. I was adding money. Do you have that in your back pocket? Um, yeah, let me check. No. I checked. I have seven cents. But so I won't be able to to add to the cause. But they're tearing down the entire west set of bleachers and the press box. Where am I gonna where are we gonna work in the fall? Uh, hopefully it's a better place than where we got to watch the spring game from. Um after after working the game now, I now know your gripe with the press box. Um it has it has a lot of upgrades that could be had. It was a little stuffy up there, just opening windows. So I can imagine a September game <laughs> up there when it's about ninety degrees, about how hot it is up there, or uh, how cold it is. I saw the uh, the taped on like the pipe insulation where you just rip out the tape in the seam and then they stick together to try to keep the pipes from freezing up there because you know you're you're and they like, have frozen before. <laughs> you're you're two hundred feet up and you get all your all your saving grace is a little bit of pipe insulation that they bought at Home Depot for six dollars and thirty six cents. So uh yeah. Uh from a fan perspective, from a media perspective, I think first phase one's gonna be a good a good thing and it's gonna be interesting to see if they can get it done in time. Yeah, I don't know if this is a situation where they're gonna start it this summer or not. Um I heard that would be tough. I heard after next football season, sorry to interrupt. uh, I heard after next football season, they're just going to go gung ho on it because they're not going to vote on it till Friday. Right. This week. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what they're going to, what their plans are as far as uh, obviously next summer, but get it done because, and listen, I love print. I love Beaver stadium. Um, It's, it's a place that, um, I hold near and dear to my heart. My dad was uh, one of the electricians that that wired the Mount Nittany side of the stadium, which I I want to say this the south south, south, south. yeah. I'm not very good with directions. Um, when they added that addition on, um, so that's always something that I've held near and dear to my heart, which has been really cool for me. Um, you know, working at Penn State and covering games like I have. But man, the Beaver Stadium press box is something in that um, if you like to be on top of the person beside you, you're in great shape. But if you're like me and you like to spread out, it's not a great time. You are essentially, you know, lengthwise, it's not it's not bad, right? It's long. It goes about from the end zone to the end zone to end zone, maybe 10 to the 10. Depth-wise, you are on top of the person that is in front of you or beside you or behind you. It's tough. It's like the depth of a double wide trailer. If that, um, and obviously a couple of, last year, elevators broke or weren't working, had to walk down the catwalk for a guy that is not a big fan of heights. And that was not fun. I white knuckled it the entire way down the catwalk, down the steps uh, to the first floor. They've had frozen pipes before, if Penn State wants to be serious about hosting college football playoff games, and I think they have the capability to do so, they had to they had to upgrade, and that's the first place because they're not going to the suite seatings. Suite seating over on the other side, the east side, is not bad. It's competent. It's it's more than you know they they need to modernize it a little bit, but I th- it, it's pretty solid. The Nittany the Nittany Mountain Nittany Club, Nittany Lion Club, those seats are are fine, um, but now adding some seating with the low seating, um, the suites. I think that's going to be a benefit too. That's another revenue stream for the Nittany Lions that they don't have. 
So that's going to add to it. But giving giving people like myself and Kevin and and Joe and and all the other guys and and gals that are in the press box room to breathe, I think is going to be a sigh of relief for everybody. Certainly. So the seventy million dollars, it's about one tenth of athletic facility upgrade costs, which would just be between Beaver Stadium and uh, the Lash Football Building, I believe. Um, so the full plan is a much needed seating, premium seating upgrade, new restrooms, concession stands, press box broadcasting facility, and field lighting. So, uh, and concor- concourses with the um, concession stands and restrooms. So better flow uh, after, before and after the game during breaks. And then the field lighting is interesting because right now they only have the four post lights. So closing in the end zones to maintain capacity really isn't an option. So if they upgrade the lights and they put them on top of the press box, now we can close in both ends with the more we, you lose the seats for putting the dedicated chairs for the quote unquote premium seating. But now you can close in Beaver stadium fully. Maybe they leave the mountain at corner open so that you can still see it from the press box, but uh, between the East and the South side to kind of look out over the baseball field. But other than that, I'm excited for what happens. No timeline as of yet, but I would anticipate it being between as soon as the last football game is over and a mad scramble until uh, the first weekend in September. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, we, we often forget about the lights, the, how important of a role they play. Obviously you need to see, right. But at Beaver stadium, they are the old school halogen lights that are like, they take about 30 minutes. If you shut them off to, to fire back up. Right. Whereas you look at all across the country, both baseball stadiums, football stadiums. Now they get, they have upgraded to the led lights and you can do so many, so many more things with, LED lights than you can with the lights that they have now. So you want to talk about entrances. Um, imagine a whiteout where it's completely dark. All you see is the lights from the phones and when they do the light show. And then the team enters and lights come on and whoosh, right? Or after a big play, like the block six and the lights are pulsating to zombie nation. It adds to the entertainment of the, of the game. It adds to the, you know, to, to the game experience. And that's not saying that Beaver Stadium experience isn't bad. Believe me, they're widening the concourses, which is great. You know, um, our fellow Penn State writer, uh, Joe Smeltzer, and I, for the whiteout game last year, uh, walked around the stadium. And, or the night game is Minnesota, I believe. Sorry. Um, not It wasn't technically the whiteout. But um, we walked around the concourse. And it was so hard to get around the concourse and we're not big guys by any means. So it, it, just being able to do that, I think is going to be huge. Making more space for people is going to be huge just to add what's already a really good experience for the most part to it, make it an even better experience. They were never going to tear Beaver stadium down. You cannot replicate what they have in there because every little piece of that stadium adds an element. Like it looks like an erector set, which is great, right? They're going to modernize kind of the look, the facade of the stadium, which is great. But at the at the same token, you can't replicate what Beaver Stadium is able to put forth on Saturday afternoons. But you can make it better. And that's what Penn State has needed to do. And they're doing it. And I'm excited to see how it all works out for the New Lions. I don't care where they come up with the money. They're going to come up with the money. They have to. Because football is the front porch of the university. You come off I-99 
and you see, boom, Beaver Stadium. You see Mount Nittany, and then you see Beaver Stadium. It just pops out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere. Uh, Beaver Stadium and Penn State is it's the first thing you see when you come in from that side. And that is one of the more important things solely because of the money it, re- it generates. Right now with those luxury seatings, those, those premium seating options, that's even more money for people to shell out for tickets, for parking, for concessions. So now, you know, this is a, this is a place where they pay $20 to park for a spring game. You park 100,000 cars, that's a good chunk of change. But unfortunately for Kevin and I, we have yet to be upgraded. Until we are upgraded, well, you're stuck with us. For Kevin Quigley, this has been Jared Prugar on the Last Year Podcast. We thank you as always for listening to the Nitty Sports Now Network. <laughs>